following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning. We're going to turn to a minor prophet, Nahum, or Nahum. It's a small little book. It only has three chapters, and it's listed among the 12 what we call minor prophets. But the message is not a minor message. It's a major message. So what I purpose to do this morning is to begin to try to set a little bit of a context, historical context, that developed prior to uh, Nahum coming to speak about what he has to say. And so we'll be going back into some of the scriptures and looking at, at some, some specific things related to that. Nahum is an interesting book. One of the things that we notice is when we look at it, there is what is called forms, literary forms. Sometimes you hear the word genre, literary forms, several different ways that people use language. And we see some of those in this uh, book. And so we're going to try to make note of those, pay attention to those. We, we see some parts that are in poetic language, some parts that may be in narrative language. We see rhetorical questions here within this little epistle. Uh, epistle, not epistle, little uh, book. <laughs> in this little book. Right, so, so the different forms. And so we just want to be aware of that uh, when we read through. And I'm going to read the first chapter of Nahum, and then I'm going to go to the other part that I was looking at, because we're going to spend a considerable amount of time outside of the book specific and go to some other passages of scripture to lay the foundation of what I'm trying to, to set up here as a beginning for what we're looking at. So I'm just going to read now, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 1. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wills. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it, 
Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? The, his fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and the darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time, for while tangled like thorns and while drunken, like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down. When he passes through, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave for you a vow. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off Utterly cut off. Now that gives us the first chapter. Now when we, it, the first four words here in the book, now I'm beginning at verse one again. It says, a burden against Nineveh. Now the fellows who were in the men's prayer meeting yesterday already know some of what I'm going to say because they heard it. But, you know, we talk about what we do when we look at Scripture and we're trying to prepare something and understand something of what's happening. So for me, I had to stop right there at the word. At the end of the four words, I had to stop and had to do some studying and try to figure out now this, the burden against Nineveh. Just in what we read in this first chapter, we saw some very dramatic language being used, which indicates to us that Nineveh really was a big-time problem and that God was not dealing with a trifling matter with regard to them. It was a serious thing. So what I be, thought would be helpful is, is just to go back in our Bible and look at where we first see the word Nineveh. 
I told them in yesterday, I ran a, a search for the word Nineveh, and I found 19 hits for the ver- word Nineveh. But during the uh, historical period uh, that we were concerned with, Nineveh was the capital of Syria, of Assyria, not Syria. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And so those two, we see those in conjunction. In many places in the scripture, they would be both mentioned right in the same section. So then I decided, well, I will run a search on the word Assyria. I found 130 hits. Now, that suggests to me that there is something really significant here to pay attention to, that we have that many hits. And there's a very interesting thing, too, when we look at Assyria, because we see that this prophecy in in Nahum that we're looking at is a prophecy of judgment that's coming to fall upon them. But one of the verses that we visited yesterday showed Assyria in a positive light. But that presentation regarding the positive light was not in reference to a historical event, but rather it was a prophetic event, what we understand will occur in the millennial reign. And so that's quite quite a long path uh, for this one nation to be to be recognized early on and then to be recognized in the millennium. That you talk about long standing for Think about the number of nations. We, we have no clue as to how many came and rose and vanished, and nobody even knows they even existed. They just came and went, and that's all they were. So let me not labor that more. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 10, and this is where we'll find out where Nineveh got, got to start. Genesis chapter 10 oftentimes is referred to as a table of nations, and you can understand why that is. I'm going to read a number of verses here. I think the first 12 verses will cover what I'm looking to point out here. Genesis chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Now, this is a genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So now, this is coming after the flood. God had preserved those eight people uh, during the flood, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives. And from these, all the earth was populated, which means that all of us, each one of us who's sitting here, we are a descendant of, of these people because all the other people were wiped out, and everybody who came after them descended from them. Now, it says here, the sons... And, the son, and sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Goma, Magog, Medeh, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, Taraz. The sons of Goma were Ashkenaz, Riphath, Togarma. The sons of Javan, Elisaph, Elisha, 
Tarshish, Kittim, Dodanum. These, and from these, the coastland people of peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands. Everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, Sabachah, and the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. Cush, Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Calne, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, and Calne, and Rezin between Nineveh and Calne. This is the principal city. So this is a very early mention. I didn't seek a specific date for this, but it could be possibly. Let's go to the ballpark, 2600 BC, this first mention here. Now, that is a long time ago. But one of the other things that we notice, so, so we see the beginning of Nineveh, and it's identified in the first uh, in, in the table of nations in Genesis 10. But in our Bibles, we find that this book of Nahum is not the only one that focuses on Nineveh. There's another book that focuses on Nineveh. What book is that? <laughs> that smile on face tells me I know the answer there. Well, the other book is Jonah. Now, that's really quite an interesting thing because with Jonah, God used Jonah and he said, now I'm sending you to this pagan nation to deliver a message of repentance. In other words, he's saying to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them judgment is on the way. But if you will repent, there will be a stay. In other words, he says, either you are enveloped by the judgment or you will repent and there are no other options. And so Jonah went down and he did what the Lord commanded him to do by delivering the message. And you can see a smile upon my face because it took a little doing before Jonah accepted the mission that the Lord gave him. But he did accept it. And he did deliver the message. And so the people then had an opportunity because the messenger had delivered to them the message of the Lord. That's what they needed to hear. They maybe didn't think they needed to hear that. 
But from what we understand was possibly their political situation at the time, perhaps they did recognize they needed something. Because from what I have read, at that particular time, they were not at their strongest as a nation, as Syria was not. That a northern nation had been pushing down, pressing them, and had come and taken over some of their border and had pressed to within 100 miles of Nineveh. And so the Assyrian people, when Jonah went to Nineveh, it seems were under some political pressure. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, let me read from Jonah. In Jonah, I'm going to read just uh, beginning in chapter 1, the first two verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now when it says that Nineveh was a great city, I think it's, I think it's hard for us to imagine that what Nineveh was in terms of its greatness. I looked at a considerable number of sources talking about the greatness and what it was like. And then there are archaeological discoveries that show us some of the things to show how, how magnificent the city was in many ways. But they had wickedness. And it had come to the attention of God. And God says, well, go down and tell them that, will, that wickedness is, is going to come to an end. Either you quit it or I will quit you. Make your choice. Now, in chapter 3, I'm still in the book of Jonah. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was exceedingly, that's an interesting word, an exceedingly great city, a three days' journey in extent. The idea is that it takes three days just to go from one end of it to the other. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word of the king of Nineveh, then came the word of the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covering himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So if you think about a nation repenting, I think this is a good description of what that could look like. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way 
and from the violence, from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from the evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he has said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This was not some matter of a false profession of repentance. The heart was changed and the evidence was there. And the Lord knew all about it. And so there we have Nineveh having reached great heights in being a a mighty city but having embraced so much wickedness that God sent down a prophet to say to them, enough. And they, be, they heeded the message. That's an interesting word. They heeded that message. Now, we are not offering exact dates, but... We're estimating that this would have been at approximately 780 B.C. So if you think about 780 B.C., now, when you're doing the B.C., the larger the number, the farther away it is from us. And then as the number gets smaller, it's getting closer to us. So sometimes it gets confusing when you read those numbers. But it says 780 B.C., But now there was an event that occurred in 722 B.C. And so now we're moving, you know, from 780, now we're coming this way toward our time to 722, a major event in biblical history. And that event has to do with Assyria and the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, I told you that when I was deciding which book to look at this time, that I was mindful to choose a minor prophet whose message was delivered after the northern kingdom had been devastated by the invasion and the deportation at the hands of Assyria. But before the Babylonian, the Babylonians came in and did the same thing to, the, to Judah, the southern kingdom. And so this is how it kind of landed on this particular book for this particular time. So now let me read again in 2 Kings. And so what we're seeing here is that the, the Bible has given us a lot of information that, that's, that's historical information. And so we're seeing how some of these things connect. So Assyria, after having repented as a result of Jonah's message, is now being used to bring judgment on another nation, a judgment which they very well could have, which very well could have been their portion, except for Jonah's message and their response to it. And now they are the instrument to bring that judgment on somebody else, and that somebody else is Israel in the northern kingdom. Now, in chapter 17 of Second Kings, we have here 
just a, a section that I want to read. Second Kings, chapter 17, and begin in verse 13. And this is what it says. Verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants and the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord, their God. And they rejected his statues and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimony, which he had testified against them. They followed idols. Mm. Because idolat- became idolaters and went after the nations who were all around them concerning the, whom the Lord has charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord that God made for themselves, and they made for themselves a molten image of two cows, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. Now, here is an interesting thing. We see it over and over again in the scripture, but you see what it said there. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments, but walked in the statutes of Israel. So they just followed after those other people. Even after they fell into the judgment at the hands of the Assyrians, they kept on following after what they had done, which, logically thinking of it, was going to lead to the same result for them, and it did. You would think if somebody's following logic and just say, oh, well, I guess I better take a different path if I don't want that result. But that's not how it worked. In verse 20, And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel from his sight, as he had said by his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. So we see this movement then with, you know, with Nineveh, the Assyrians, and all that. Now, by, by this time, it's a, it's a very, very old nation, which had great renown. 
and they did that. But there came a time when Assyria was defeated. And so Nahum then is prophesying. And in 663 BC, Assyria and defeated Thebes. Thebes was a major city of Egypt, and the Assyrians wrecked them in 663 BC. But then in 612 BC, so still we're moving towards us, where we are. And I think I said maybe 2600 BC for where Nineveh is first mentioned in the Table of Nations. And now we're coming down to 663 when Thebes, is, which is mentioned here, was defeated by the Assyrians. And now we come to 612 and the Assyrians are defeated. So what that means then is when we say, well, when was Nahum given? Well, I, we don't have exact date, but we have some bookmarks. Because since this book refers to the destruction of Thebes in 663 B.C., then he would have written after that point. That's what we understand. And since Assyria and the actual biblical historical resources that will confirm the date was destroyed by the Babylonians in 612. So between those two dates that Nam came and delivered uh, the word that he had. Now, in 701 B.C., now I'm going back again before the uh, fall of Thebes, Nineveh came against Judah, and they were attempting to defeat uh, Judah. And they did defeat many of the towns and villages around surrounding Judah. But they also had in their uh, crosshair Jerusalem. And they decided, well, we're going to take Jerusalem too. But uh, that was not successful. That was during Josiah's uh, time. And so they went to the Lord and they they, they begged of the Lord to say, we, we, need, we need the help of the Lord. So Assyria has had these aggressive actions. I think I want to go ahead and read from Second uh, Kings where we see the attempt on Jerusalem. Because it's, sometimes we think about that and then I, they, they did what they did on the northern kingdom, but they had an impact on the southern kingdom too. And this came after the northern kingdom was defeated. We should have really have been a wake-up call for, for Judah, but for some reason it wasn't. So we're turning now to 2 Kings chapter 18. First I'll start in verse 28. In verse 28, then the Rabshaka, the one who was the spokesperson, it says here, stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, do not let Hezekiah, I said Josiah, I should have said Hezekiah. 
that was an error. So it was during Hezekiah's time. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. Now, there's a challenge. Who, where are you going to put your trust? I'm telling you, where to put it? That was the message. The Lord will surely deliver us. You know, that's what he was saying, Hezekiah would say. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the Lord, the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you, eat from your own vine, and every one of you, from your own fig tree, and every one of you, drink the waters of his cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver you. Now comes some fortification for his argument. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? So you saying just look around and see the evidence that is available to you, which will help you decide what you ought to do. Now, in chapter 19, I'm still in 2 Kings. I'm starting in verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. Now, so this is after Hezekiah initiated the prayer, and they went to God and, and asked him, and then God is answering the prayer for them. And then in verse 33, By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night, that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. Wow, that's a lot of soldiers. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Now, see, this is historical information. This is not fantasy or fiction. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, he returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons Adramelech and Sherezer struck him down with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esar Haddon, his son, reigned in his place. So that uh, gives us a, a, a bit of a context for Nineveh. Uh, the Assyrians and their activities, which span a very long span of time, and they now are in the crosshairs of God again. And that's what Nam is telling us about. Let's close that now with prayer. Our Father, thank you for the privilege that you are given to us to look into your word. We ask for your help 
so that our handling of it and response to it will be pleasing in your sight. We ask in the name of Christ, the Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen.